This episode is brought to you by KJK. Tired of the billable hour? KJK has a solution. The KJK GC Advantage program offers businesses comprehensive legal services in the areas of employment, corporate services, real estate, trademark, intellectual property, and estate planning, all for a set monthly fee. KJK serves as their clients' partners in business, not just their lawyers. Along with cost certainty and predictability, the KJK GC Advantage program gives clients peace of mind, knowing their projects will be handled quickly and efficiently, maximizing the return on investment on their legal spend. So don't go it alone. Let KJK help. Learn more by visiting KJK.com. Six One Four Startups Nation. Welcome to another episode of the Six One Four Startups Podcast. My name is Elio Harmon, your host, and this is a big one, people. We got a whale in the building, Mister Matt Scantlin of And Health. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you, Elio. It's great to be here. I'm not sure I've ever been introduced that way, but we'll we'll go with it. <laughs> oh man, I got to give you your flowers while I can, and I save this for the podcast. So I tell this story a, a lot. If you've ever heard me talk about the Genesis story of 614 Startups, I always point to uh, cover my meds acquisition by McKesson. I was a a guy who on the, you know, just cared about the startup community on the periphery. I drove up and down 70 West. I would see this name on the side of this building on 70 West, kind of the most prominent name on the side of the building, like cover my meds. Oh my goodness, who would name their company that, right? And then all of a sudden I read this company, in my opinion, who had a funny name, get acquired for a billion dollars. And that was such a seminal moment in the startup community. And that moment was what encouraged me to launch this podcast. So in a long roundabout way, Matt, you had a hand in the launch of 614 Startups. <laughs> wow. Wow. That, it's an honor, Elio. I'm, I'm so glad it helped you to inspire you to create this. And I really appreciate what you're doing. You've had so many people on your podcast that I admire. I, and I think it's, I think it's just awesome. Well, great. And, 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 and ode to that good old Midwest hospitality, you have agreed to be on the show as well. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people may know you by name only. Um, and, and that was the way it was for a long time until we started to have a conversation about you coming on the podcast. But let's start there, which is where I love to start. So who is Matt Scantlin? Where are you from originally? And how did you come to live in Columbus, Ohio? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm born and raised in, in Columbus, Ohio, actually. I'm a husband and father of two boys, six and 10, and really a, a lifetime entrepreneur. I was born and raised here in Columbus. I grew up here. I had incredible parents and a twin brother and a sister and this support system around me that that um, was really inspiring to grow up around. And at, there was a time when I thought I might I might leave, but I was an entrepreneur and helping to build companies by the time I was 24, and and Columbus has has served us really well, and so that's why why we're why we're here. Yeah, talk about a twin brother. You you you. I mean, there's something in the water, in the food, or in the breakfast over there because your twin brother is also a very successful entrepreneur. Uh, Orange Barrel Media, right? Yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah, he's he's got me by four minutes uh, on birth. 
Um, and his and his company actually was a little bit earlier too. We started. We both became entrepreneurs in a in a professional sense around the same year. But actually, growing up, we were it. You know, like brothers can be a, sometimes a little bit competitive, but also just each other's biggest fan. And and I think between my parents and my my grandparent my grandparents actually my grandfather was an entrepreneur as well. And that that inspiration and and really what I learned from my parents was that you can do anything you're willing to work hard enough at, and then to have that family and my brother where we we really believed we could create this this world for ourselves and for and for the people that wanted to to do things in a different way. That was a huge uh, huge advantage and something that I that I am so grateful for and and it's been a lot of fun to be able to do it. Uh, with Pete and and also with the other folks that have helped us to build these companies here. Yeah, well, the highways and byways of Columbus have always been an inspiration. And another inspiration that I got, um, or like a, a, an aspiration that I have, is driving on 670. So saw cover my meds on 70, see Orange Barrel on 670. And, you know, I kind of the first because both of those are prominent. So now Cover My Meds is on 670. Orange Barrel is, feels very, very much right next to it. And then next to that is Lower.com Field. And I would drive there and it, it represents kind of in the foreground the future big companies of Columbus. And then in the background, you see the skyscape with your AEPs and your Huntington's kind of in the background. Um, as you, when you started right in this entrepreneurial world, um, what, what inspired you to get started, uh, was cover my meds idea one. And what was your why for becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess if there's one thing that, that I've, I've always believed, it's just that we're all of us are capable of a lot more than, than the world tends to think. And a big why for me in entrepreneurship, you know, you said it there about looking at the, at the way that the world changes when entrepreneurship happens. A big part of entrepreneurship for me is really about exercising our own agency to make the world better. And what, we try, what, I, what I think is amazing about entrepreneurship is it's a chance to do something that in, in its own way makes the world a better place. And that creates a new opportunity for the people that that help build it, and so it's really been about that act of creation and that directed creation in a way where we can do something new that that creates opportunity for people and opportunity for the world that's just so inspiring and really, I think that's the that's the through line in the work that we're doing, and you know in our new business and health, which is a business with the mission of helping people reverse chronic disease, I feel like that's actually in some ways the ultimate expression of that idea, which is that we can have the life that we want to have. And we're not tied to 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 the fate, maybe that our parent that that the fate that we have based on who our parents were or where we were born. And it's different for everyone. It, it's it's not always fair. It's not always equal. But I think that, that that idea of transformation and being able to go on a journey where you want to is just so inspiring to me and something that I just really believe in. And, and that's really the center of, of our work. 
Yeah, I want to get into Ann Health yeah. because I am all about um, the mission of that company and transforming people's health. And, you know, I'm on a health journey myself. And um, but I would be remiss if I don't touch a little bit, just a yeah. little bit on cover my meds. Right, yeah. And what I was saying before in terms of manifestation. Now, when I drive down 670, the first thing I manifested was, man, I got to host a podcast at lower.com field. I had a chance to do that with uh, Dan Snyder of lower. But my next big dream, I see these huge images of all these fit guys from Rogue, right, on the side of the Orange Bear. I'm like, one day my mug is going to be on there promoting the startup ecosystem here in Columbus. Um, but I want to talk about that um, experience, right? And, and what did building such a, a, an important company to the ecosystem mean to you? And what do you think it did for us as an ecosystem in general? Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, it was, it was an incredible experience. It was, it was so fun to have a, an idea and then take it to something that really worked and that I, I do think made life better for people. It made, made life better for the patients that we served. We helped hundreds of millions of, of patients get the medications they need, and it created great jobs for, for thousands of people and, st and still does. And I had a, you, you know, thinking about what it maybe it means to the ecosystem. I had this incredible experience maybe a year ago. I was in a, a, a meeting. One of the hats I sometimes wear is, is really on economic development. And, and I was just in an economic development meeting. I was looking around the room and there were probably a dozen Cover My Meds alumni and it, a couple of people that were still at Cover My Meds and, and a dozen that had had moved on and made an organization in some cases from scratch or in some cases they made an organization um, uh, different or better and, and maybe brought something that they learned about what's possible in entrepreneurship to, to wherever they they're contributing now. And so the the ultimately, I think that this the beauty of entrepreneurship is that it teaches people this idea that we can, we're, we're, we're mostly limited by what we believe we can do. And here were a dozen people that were out there trying to make a difference in that room, talking about how do we create shared prosperity in, in Columbus. And it was just so inspiring and, and so touching that we maybe had a small chance in, in helping to get them on that journey. And that more than anything, I think, is what the legacy really is. Not so much um, just that one company, but the way that all of these people are going to go off and do something great. And I think we're building the capacity in our community when we see things like this work, our capacity to change, our capacity to grow, our capacity to be generous, our capacity to dream and then to make it happen. And that's, I think, what the legacy is. And that's what I'm just so excited about. Yeah. So so my mentor from afar, never met the gentleman, Jim Rohn, always had a saying about, hey, it's not don't don't ask, you know, what am I going to be doing or how much am I, am I going to make on the job is really about what am I becoming on this job? And it feels very much like the legacy, as you've expressed it, of Cover My Meds is the are the people right, that were part of building the company and then going on 
to doing something else in the community. That's 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 fantastic. It's almost like uh, the Cover My Meds Mafia, right? Like the, the, the legendary PayPal Mafia. Uh, I, I feel like we're building a little bit of a cartel here with some of those employees that are out there building great uh, uh, companies. Okay, and health. You're back at Maranova, man. I'm on 70 again, and there you are, okay? But this time with a different name, And Health. So what is And Health? Why did you start this company, and what problem are you solving? Yeah, so we're a, we're a digital health company, and we help people to reverse chronic diseases. So we're, we're, we're a type of company that really didn't even exist a handful of years ago, which is to say that we're a healthcare provider we actually have patients. We treat patients and, and employ doctors, but we're also bringing technology and innovation to that work. And that, that's not to say that our healthcare system doesn't innovate at all, but this is a new kind of company where we're saying, how can we innovate not just in the, the technology and the delivery of the care, but in the care itself? And that's an important idea because as we think about chronic diseases, which are now about 90% of healthcare spend, and are really the, I've come to believe, are the, the next century's health problem, the next challenge, which is to say really the next challenge for humanity. These chronic diseases, which are now 90% of, of that future um, challenge, need new approaches. And we called the company And Health to reflect an idea that while we want to be transformative and bring innovation, we also want to do it in collaboration. And rather than it's so tempting when we think about when we think about innovation to to say I want to be a disruptor, but in our healthcare system, which is you know a fifth of the economy and and is millions of people, and I've never met a single one of them that isn't trying to do the best they can. What we think we mostly need is just more tools and time and a different approach to address chronic disease. And chronic diseases are different than what really defined human health for for many years, which was infectious diseases, emergencies, and acute issues. And in some ways, the problem that we're working on is what's left as a result of the the profound success that we have achieved in our healthcare system. We've about doubled life expectancy in 150 years. But as we did that, Many people are suffering. And, and if you look at the trend of our healthcare system, um, people are, are arguably are, are not getting better anymore. And what we started the company to do is to reflect the idea that as it relates to these chronic diseases, about 80% of the achievable health outcome is related to the patient's lifestyle, behavior, and social determinants of health. And so we've built a company that helps patients to participate in their healthcare in a way that can make a difference against those factors, which, which drive 80% of the outcome. Maybe I'll stop there and, and see if that's making sense so far. No, a lot of sense. Now you're in my world, right? Because this is what I do in my day job, right? This idea of value-based care, right? No longer are we going to, um, or no longer can we sustainably continue with the system that we have. I'm not saying nobody, anyone here was forward thinking and made, made this switch to value-based. We're in a way, because the problem is so massive and is affecting our healthcare such a system in such a, a profound way that we have to make a change. We're being forced into it. 
But this 90% number, what are the kind of the, the, the main ones, the main chronic conditions that are affecting our society uh, right now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, when, we, when we think about this cost problem or the, or the burden of disease, one thing that's important to remember is that actually the, the costs are, are really highly concentrated among a relatively small number of patients. And the, 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 the number one killer is heart disease of the chronic diseases. Um, but there are, but there are um, a dozen or so that by the time we get to the bottom of the list, we would have been talking about just about 20% of patients that are driving 80 plus percent of addressable cost. And one of the things that we're doing at Ant Health, it's a little bit different than the way that the, the I'll call it the healthcare innovation system has worked is we're starting at the tippy top of where um, the, the costs are, where the patient motivation is, and also where the motivation within the healthcare system is to change. And when we start at the tippy top, we, we, we're focusing right now on migraine and on autoimmune conditions. When we start at the top, um, we don't need to help that many people to eradicate a profound amount of suffering and a profound amount of cost. Um, Take autoimmune as an example. For most employers, autoimmune is is between 30 and 50% of the prescription drug cost for the employer. Um, When you talk to the patients, um, they'll tell you that they are in incredible pain and are suffering, and they're generally not getting the support that they need to address the lifestyle factors that are the root causes that are creating that those conditions. And so and Health is here to help patients to address those root causes and to do that in collaboration with the existing healthcare system. And when we do that, we're able to get at a lot of the human suffering and a lot of the cost. And importantly, because the health outcome is going to happen from patients changing their behavior, we're working with patients that are really, really motivated. And it's the same thing with migraine. Migraine is, an ex- migraine is a neurological condition that impacts about 40 million people, about 80% women. Like many health conditions, migraine skews to, to people that have been historically disadvantaged, people of color, less likely to have a migraine diagnosis, but more likely to, to not be able to receive care, um, women. And um, for those 40 million migrainers, there's only about 2,000 headache specialists, which means that no matter where you live, you're living in a care desert, even here in a major metropolitan area. And so by um, creating more capacity to help people with these chronic conditions and then bringing not just innovation in how we deliver the care, but innovation in, in what we do with the patient where we address root causes, we're able to make a, a profound difference. As, a, as an example of that in, in migraine, our patients are getting to about an 80% reduction in migraine days, which is a profound outcome. That's about two times the existing standard of care. The existing standard of care is a, is a class of biologic drugs called CGRPs. Um, they cost about $9,000 per patient per year. And we're able, by helping the patient to, to participate in their care, we're able, able to double that outcome. And that's a really profound 
difference when you meet one of these patients that has been able to transform their lives like that. They say, I have a new life. I'm able to show up in a, in a way that I've always wanted to, and I wasn't able to because of this condition. And that's what we mean when we say we reverse chronic disease. We help people to achieve their, their dreams. We help them to move beyond the disease. And for the employer or the, the plan sponsor, we move from a system in which we're largely controlling costs by saying no to necessary care. And Elio, you, in your, in your day job, you, you understand all about this, right? Is what, what's covered as sort of the central constraint in, del- in access and in delivering care. We're able to move the, the plan from the, the primary lever is controlling access to the primary lever is getting patients to a point where they need less healthcare by helping them get better. And when, when people need less healthcare, costs naturally go down and we do it in a way where we can actually increase access, which increases equity and reduces um, uh, suffering for people and helps, if you're an employer, helps your people show up in a more productive way where they can, they can go on and take that big job. They can go on and achieve their dreams, just like your podcast is, is here to talk about. Yeah. Now where, where, what was the genesis of this idea? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and why was it so important for you to start a company around this idea? Yeah. Yeah. And health has really been my dream for 10 years. And um, it became my dream for two reasons. One, one is a, my own personal health journey. 10 years ago, my first son was born. I was about 50 pounds heavier than I am today, pre-diabetic, suffering from really severe anxiety and stress, generally the result of, of failing to prioritize my own health. And my doctor, who was a, a great guy, said, hey, congratulations on, on your son, but when are you going to start participating in your own healthcare? And here I was as a, as a healthcare technology entrepreneur, focused all on, on healthcare, but not participating in my own care. And I'd been thinking about that for a while when, when I had that conversation with the doctor and contemplating the, the reality that many of us, I think, have at, at, at some level and at some time where we say, you know what? For this thing, there's no pill. There's no one intervention that can be done to me or for me that's going to get me out of this. Or sometimes we have that realization when we're when it's a loved one, maybe with a terminal illness or some other issue where, where there isn't an intervention that's going to fix it. And instead, the patient needs to participate in making a change. And for me, that was that catalyst was that conversation, which really came at, a, at the right time for me because I, I'd been thinking about how am I going to be a part of my son's life? And I'd been thinking about the, the, the reality that, that I was going to need to start to make some changes. And the good news was that for me, making those changes restored my health incredibly rapidly. And that's what we're finding with the patients that we're helping at Ant Health is that the, 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 there, there are some really tough cases but for the most part, what people need is, is someone to help them, to tell them that success is possible and then to, to guide them. Um, and I'll, I'll come into it in a moment how, how we make that a little bit easier. But we're finding that actually that's, the, that's more the norm. It's just that our patients are in a system that has taught them that 
that healthcare is what's done to you or for you, not what you participate in. And at the same time I was having that, that personal journey, I was also having a professional journey because I remember when I, when I, I've been a healthcare entrepreneur, even before cover my meds, I had a, a software consulting company. And in that business, we helped launch insurance plans. And I remember that I was probably 24, 25 at the time. I remember saying, okay, I, I better learn a little bit more about this insurance plan. And we were doing some analytics. And I realized that the average Medicare recipient was taking more than half a dozen medications. And by the, by the time I was having that conversation with my son being born, it was double digits. And by the time I left cover my meds, it was even higher. And so while I was having my own personal health journey, I was also looking out around us and saying, you know what, there, th this healthcare system is full of great people that are doing the absolute best they can, but, but the result of that is that we're not getting better. And what I want to do is work on important problems that help make the, help, help make the world a, a little bit better of a place. And so I need to help work on that problem not on just making the existing healthcare system more efficient. We need to, we need to, if we want a different result, we need to think a little bit differently about how, what do we actually do with the patient? Not just how do we automate the same stuff that we've always been doing. And so fortunately I was able to get a chance to do that. It took 10 years and, and, and moving on from, from my old business to the new one. And what we, what we've now done at Ant Health is put together a, this incredible team of people that all, frankly, all have their own personal connection to this. Many times it's a personal health issue. Many times it's a lifetime in our healthcare system where we're seeing that success is so possible if we help patients to address root causes, that the result of that is so profound when we do that, but that they just cannot help themselves but to, but to do this. And to figure out how to make the business model work and to figure out how to deliver this because we can change the lives of people when, when we come together as a healthcare system and build that infrastructure for the next hundred years. And that's really what we're doing. Yeah. And uh, we have to take a break, but an idea, as we all know, a dime a dozen, a business is a much different thing. Yeah. So you're now listening to my conversation with Matt Scantlin of And Health we got to take a break. You're going to hear a few messages, but come on back. We're going to talk about the healthcare system and how you go from an idea to an actual business. We'll be right back. Support for the 614 Startups podcast comes from Nationwide. Nationwide's mission is to protect people, businesses, and futures with extraordinary care. To help fulfill that mission, Nationwide is looking to invest its $350 million venture capital investment fund in InsureTech's that will help them create new and exciting products and solutions to meet the needs of their customers. If you're interested in partnering with Nationwide's venture capital team, visit nationwideventures.com to learn more. Again, the website is nationwideventures.com. Nationwide is on your side. This episode is brought to you by RevOne. RevOne's mission is to help entrepreneurs build great companies. As you navigate the waters of business entrepreneurship, you don't have to go it alone. A strategic partnership with RevOne connects innovators to the talent, customers, space, and funding you need when you need it. 
Get started with Rev1 Startup Studio by visiting rev1ventures.com to learn more. Again, the website is rev1ventures.com. 614 Startups Nation, welcome back. I'm continuing my conversation with Matt Scantlin of And Health. All right, Matt, we left off with the idea, the inspiration, and the problem. But that doesn't necessarily mean we have a business. Let's talk about the business of Hand Health and how you're creating a company that solves this problem. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the big idea is that for the defining healthcare problems, 80% of what's possible is when we can help patients to change their behavior. And that's, that's another way of saying, in order to create a business, we've got to get really good at helping patients to change their behavior. And so the way that we did that is we said, okay, well, let's do two things that'll be really important in that. Let's start by focusing on the areas where it would be most valuable to help patients change their behavior and the area where it would be easiest. And so we focused on chronic diseases where patients are incredibly motivated for help and where the costs are high enough that if we can, if we can help people get better, there's economic value that's created by the financial sponsors of our healthcare system, which is to say employers and health plans. And we started with migraine and autoimmune conditions because we discovered through um, some really interesting um, work that we did that patients are somewhere between 10 and 100 times more likely to exert effort to actually reverse those conditions than most of the conditions that our healthcare system has historically focused on behavioral healthcare around. A good example of that is cardiometabolic diseases, which in the long run can have profound health impacts, but in the short run are, are, his, are notoriously difficult to, to motivate behavior around. So we started there. And in particular with those chronic conditions, there's an access problem that's actually creating a big gap between what is routinely achieved clinically and what is possible when we solve that access problem. I, I mentioned earlier, migraine, I think, really illustrates this, where 40 million migraine sufferers, 2,000 headache specialists, and so the result is just to get into a headache doctor, you're going to wait 6, 12, 18 months, and then you're going to see that, that provider once a year, maybe. And as a result of that, the tools that are in the tool belt of, the, of that headache clinic are limited, right? Because the doctor is just trying to do the best that they can with what they have. And if they know they're not going to see the patient for another year, what's likely to work is writing a prescription. If I write a prescription a year from now, it's likely the patient shows up and that maybe they've, got, they've managed to get their hands on it. But if I talk to the patient about nutrition or about sleep or about stress or about many of the root causes that actually drive migraine, it's really, really difficult to expect that a year from now when the patient comes back, that they've been able to take this huge, hard aspiration, eat better, and turn that into behavior that's actually been able to um, achieve a clinical outcome. And so the business of and health is to start with these chronic conditions that are really expensive, and then to help patients to participate in their care. And we do that 
first by becoming the patient's doctor. That allows us to solve that access problem and to immediately be a great doctor. That puts at our fingertips what we could think of as standard of care. We're able to write prescriptions. We're able to do labs. We're able to do imaging. We're able to collaborate with the patient's other doctors. But then we, that, that, that provides really the, the tools, time, and trust to then start a, a disease reversal journey. And in that disease reversal journey, what we're going to do is we're going to help the patient to identify the root causes that are driving that condition, and then to adopt the behaviors as part of a treatment plan that address those unique root causes. And what we're doing, if you think about this from the perspective of a doctor, is we're now putting more tools into the doctor's tool belt. So not only can I now write prescriptions as part of the patient's treatment plan, but it can also prescribe that the patient work on nutrition so that they can address, for example, an inflammation issue, which might be causing a sinus issue that's driving the migraine. Right. And so we put more tools into the, the tool belt. And the way that we do that is we make the care continuous. We solve that access issue. And then we move from, I'm going to see the patient once a year to I'm going to see the patient continuously and in real time on the patient's phone. Continuous and virtual versus episodic and on-premise. And in the really long run, and we're already starting to, to, to do this with healthcare providers, the answer is actually both, right? If you think about 10 years ago, online banking, right? Everyone talked about online banks and then banks. Wait, what is there today, Elio? They're just banks, right? Except that they're all online too, and they have branches. And that's really what I think the future of this is, is we can leverage a, a relationship that exists with the, the patient and a primary care doctor, probably in an office. We then become an extender of that relationship and make the root cause-oriented chronic disease reversal process continuous. And we do that in the patient's home. Because the other element of, of helping patients to participate in their care beyond harnessing motivation is simply making it easier. And when we get the precision around the root cause and then make the care continuous and virtual, we, we don't need to turn the patient into an Olympic athlete. We just need to say, hey, for you, what's driving this migraine is a musculoskeletal issue and we need to work on neck flexibility. And for you, what's driving this is a nutrient deficiency and we need to address that. And for you, what's driving it is a, is a hormone issue and we need to manage the, the hormone dysregulation. Or for you, maybe it's sleep or stress. And so that precision around the root cause makes this mainstream so that we don't have to just be working with Olympic athletes. We can be working with anyone that wants to get better. And, and the thing that I really, really believe and have seen in this business so far is everyone wants to get better. And our healthcare system wants to help them get better. And so we're the company that's going to create the tools and the time to do that. So let me ask you this, and, and I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. Right now, am I able to see an and health doctor? And is that opportunity virtual only with the goal of having some hybrid option, right? Where if you can, you can visit one of our centers, but today we'll see you virtually. Yeah. Right now we see patients virtually and early next year, we're launching our first collaborations with brick and mortar providers so that you'll be able to do both. And today, if you're a patient, 
you're accessing Antel through your employer. And employers are um, have historically been in the business of buying insurance and not procuring healthcare directly, as you know. But that's that's really changing quite rapidly because employers have recognized that they need to start doing things differently if they want to achieve a different outcome. And in particular, we're finding with migraine and autoimmune conditions that employers recognize that there's a huge gap between what should be possible and what their employees are experiencing. You get, when, when we talk to an employer, usually in, in a meeting, someone says, I have migraine. It's been really tough to get the care that I need. And I see how that's impacted, has impacted maybe my career. And I see how it's impacting other careers. And so employers increasingly are looking to support their employees in a new way. And when they do that, they get not only lower costs, but they get a more productive workforce, a more engaged workforce. And in these conditions, they're addressing their equity priorities because these are conditions that historically have impacted women and people of color. They've contributed to the gender wage gap and to the historic inequity in our healthcare system. And so we work with employers directly. We also do allow patients to sign up and, and um, work with the company without their employer. But the way to make this mainstream really is to get to the point where it works just like the rest of our healthcare system, where it's covered by your, by either your employer-sponsored plan or Medicaid or Medicare. And so over the long run, that's that we're going to be working on all three of those things. All right. So you mentioned people and your legacy at your previous company being the people, and you're in a very people-oriented business. Let's talk about the people who are going to serve and how you attract the right doctors. Because the incentives in the existing system are producing the behaviors of the existing system within physicians. So how are you thinking about hiring an and health doctor? And what is your plan for acculturating them to this new way of providing care and how do you support them with technology in the delivery of that care? Yeah, great question. We want to be the place for clinicians that want to work in a collaborative environment to help people reverse disease. And that collaborative environment is about leveraging technology and a new operating model to solve that access issue so that we can make care continuous. And that's not every clinician that wants that. But if you ask most, my experience has been that if you ask most clinicians, hey, what should the patient do besides take the medication or have the surgery? They'll actually describe what we're doing. And if you say, well, why aren't you helping them do that? They'll say, well, I can't because it's not reimbursed and I don't have the tools or the time. And so really what we're doing is we're giving clinicians the tools and the time and the platform to do what I think 95% of them want to do and just can't. And, and so it's actually not a hard thing to convince people to want to do. And especially when they get here and they see people getting better. And so that's really motivating. And then we, we employ people that aren't directly delivering care, but are instead building those tools and the time. And we want to be the people that, we want to be the place for people that want to do something big. 
that helps to transform our healthcare system, that helps people to reverse chronic disease. And 20 years from now, that has has really cr- helped be a part, and I don't think it'll just be our company, but I think we'll be a part of creating a recognition that chronic diseases are not a fate. They're not something that once you have one, it just gets worse. Instead, they're something that we can make progress on. And, and when we do that, I think we become part of the legacy of really what, what I think all most human rights has, has been towards, which is to say, you don't need to have the life that you were born into. And that's, I think, a really powerful message that is really um, motivates a lot of people that, that work here. And, and that's the place we want to be. So let me orient myself to your target. Um, do you call them patients? Yeah, patient. Mm-hmm. Okay, your target patient. Now, if and health is being procured, right, offered through my employer, then these are folks of working age. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. P- uh, right now, it, the employer-sponsored care is for people of working age. Correct. Okay. And that's what's available today. So uh, as you're growing the company, you're going to open it up to Medicaid, Medicare. And so you're going to be looking at other populations, but most of these folks are going to be people who are within their working life. Okay. Why did you choose to focus there? Um, Because when we talk about costs, you, I always, because my whole world is on the Medicare end, on the senior end and understanding that most of the spend that we're going to have is going to be in our elder years but still there's a lot of spending within the work life. Why did you choose this particular uh, segment of the population to start with? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. The, the a couple reasons. Um, the first is that when, when I, I think when you want to do something like this, um, you need to recognize that, that a lot of things need to change from the way that the system works today. And so you want to be working with people that that benefit the most from the change. And the thing about an employer is that they're, they and the patient are the most aligned with, with improving the system. Um, because for, from the perspective of an employer um, who historically has, has bought insurance but or, or has self-insured but has had a, an administrative relationship with an insurer, the employer is the only part of the value chain that can't squeeze the, squeeze a, the balloon. And what, what I mean by that is if you're a payer, you can, you can save money by saying no to necessary care. But, but it's a balloon because the cost externality of people getting worse ends up being a productivity problem or a disability problem for the employer. Okay. Or if you're a part of the healthcare system and and it wasn't very long ago that medications were covered separately from, from medical. Some of the consolidation that's happened in the healthcare system recently has changed that some of the time. But historically, if you were covering the prescription drugs, but not the medical, you could cover, you could squeeze the balloon and create a, a downstream medical cost. And I remember 15 years ago, a landmark study showed that $350 billion a year in avoidable medical spending was driven by medication non-adherence or an access challenge around medication. And so everyone can kind of create a cost externality in, in the healthcare system. And I don't think they're really doing it maliciously. They're all just doing their job, which is basically to run their business, right? But, but the result of 
people doing their job is that we tend to create these cost externalities for everyone other than the employer. Because the employer pays for it one way or another. They pay for the medication, they pay for the, the medical cost, and they pay for the productivity and the disability cost. And so the employer is a really aligned partner in making the healthcare system better. Patients, of course, are really aligned too, but most patients um, uh, can't come out of pocket for the majority of their healthcare spend, and that wouldn't allow us to be as accessible to people as we want to be. And so failing going straight to the patient, which doesn't allow us to create the equity and the accessibility that we want, the employer is really, really aligned. And they're also, in many cases, able to move pretty quickly. And so we started there, and that allows us to show that it works. We're building an evidence base. Every single patient that goes through the system contributes to what's really an ongoing trial that, that, that demonstrates that this works. And over time, then, you can go to the other financial sponsors, Medicaid, Medicare, and show that it works there, too. So it feels like by going to the employer, what you've done is eliminated a middle person, right? Which is, again, what you were explaining, where you don't necessarily have the employer paying an insurance company and then you filing claims and running into the same issue that providers are running into. Oh, this is not reimbursable. Yeah. So now you're you're from again, I'm, I'm listening keenly about all of the things that you're solving for here. And I'm deeply interested. Yeah. So the employers are excited. Maybe this might be the year we don't, <laughs> if this works, we don't have to raise premiums year over year, right? There's something broken because fundamentally we aren't adjust, uh, addressing costs for these people that we know are very expensive. So the employer is on board, but you know, you're changing behaviors, not just for the employers, but for the employees, so a lot of employees will have 50 different benefits that the employer is paying for, but they're not necessarily taking advantage of it. Mm. I have my PCP now. I have a great relationship with them. Whether I'm getting a results I, I desire or not, why am I going to change to this, these and health guys? I don't even know who they are. So you're changing not only the employer's behavior, but you need to change that employee's behavior to have them engage with you in this new system. How are you thinking about that? about them adopting and health as their option for healthcare? Yeah, that's a great question. We have found that when employers offer this, this benefit, that, that we, within 60, 90 days, exceed anyone's expectations around enrollment. And the reason for that is because of the, the conditions that we're treating. Remember, we're treating conditions where patients are highly motivated. They're highly motivated because of pain and disruption, and they don't have access to a healthcare system that's helping them get better today, right? It's the 6, 12, 18-month waiting list. That, and the average patient that we're seeing has seen a doctor, but has really bounced around a system that's optimized for treating acute issues, not for helping to address root causes. And so by, by focusing on the chronic diseases where patients are highly motivated and where there's just inherently an access challenge, there's an untapped reservoir of demand. And the result of that is that we, we 
tend to greatly exceed the enrollment um, goals that that anyone has. And in doing that, we solve what what you're right. You, you've been around the block in this world is really, I think, the Achilles heel or the hidden little sort of the 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 dirty little secret of employer sponsored care, which is that there's a lot of stuff out there that's sort of a solution searching for a problem. You know, if you think about the average wellness benefit, maybe it's a 10,000 steps program, maybe it's an EAP, that stuff tends to have trouble getting people engaged because it's not really, for the person that's suffering the most, it's not really a solution, right? If, I, if, I'm, suffering, if I'm suffering from 12 migraines a month, I don't look at my employer's 10,000 steps program and say, that's going to help me get better. What I'm looking for is a specialist in my chronic condition. And that's, that's why And Health is a virtual specialist rather than a wellness company. And, and by being a virtual specialist that solves the access issue and addresses root causes for conditions where patients are really motivated, we don't have to chase patients. They, they are looking for answers. And when, when people start seeing that it works, it tends to just spread. And that's really, really different than I would say than, than, than where employers have, have tended to have options historically. One of the things I think that's, that's a bit um, unfortunate, actually, about where employer-sponsored wellness or healthcare started is it tended to start when someday uh, when, when we get together, I'll show you our, our data around what we call disease activation, where employers have tended to have options, companies they could bring in to do this is actually mostly around the conditions that patients are the least activated around. And, and so wh- while we've talked to, you know, thousands of, of, of healthcare professionals and doctors and said, hey, 80% of these, the outcome in these diseases is our behavior. That's not at all controversial. What is controversial is will patients change? And we've built the whole company from, from the diseases that we're, we're treating to then how we create ability or make that the behavior easier. We've built the whole company around solving that challenge. The other thing we do is we align ourselves with, with getting patients to participate. We only charge the employer when a patient enrolls and participates in that disease reversal journey. And so as a result of that, we're putting our money where our mouth is, where we're saying, hey, it, we haven't done anything until the patient's participated. And we're not going to charge for that. And that's a departure also from, from traditional employer-sponsored wellness where there's been a per member per month charge, which actually misaligns the system, right? It costs the, the healthcare provider more money the more people that sign up, but yet the more people that, the, the fewer people that sign up, the, the worse the deal is for the employer. And so we've aligned ourselves around participation in the way that we charge for the, the care as well. How does a company so young possess such confidence that you're creating a business model based on performance? Mm-hmm. What do you know that, like you said, these other programs don't know where they're front loading their success and saying, hey, it's awesome. We can get your people healthy, but you got to pay us first. What gives you the confidence to go to a performance based model versus getting your money up front? Yeah, well, we, we know that it works. And we know that patients are motivated and that, that what, what really all that needs to happen to make 
to make this model come to life is we we need to get patients need to get access to it. And so the way that patients get access to it is we get employers to say yes. And the way employers say yes is we say, we don't charge you unless it worked, unless your people got better. And the, the good news about these conditions is in three months, we can show that we've, we've literally doubled the standard of care. And, ever, and, and you get the, the patient says, you have changed my life. You've given me my life back. And, and that, that, that's powerful. And it happens reliably. And so it's really about how do you solve, how do you, what's the first step in that? It's, it's about access and access is about making this make sense for the employer and aligning it in a way where they don't, we don't win unless they do. And when you're speaking about this, kind of, as you're talking about it, you know, the talent war is on. Yeah. Talk about stickiness right, of a company that offers a benefit that transforms the health of someone. And then if somebody's trying to recruit them away, I can imagine a world where the first question is, do you guys have and health? (laughs) Are you starting to have those kinds of conversations with human resource decision makers uh, about, you know, the, the, the value add of and health. Yeah, you want to drive down costs. Yes, you want healthy employees. But oh my goodness, what a way to retain great talent. That exactly. You you nailed it. That's exactly right. The the leading employers recognize that they win through their people and that their people can achieve more when they're supported and when they're when they have as much function as as is possible. And so supporting people with these in, in these conditions where people are motivated and they just need a little help is a no-brainer. Economically, it takes care of itself in, in the first year, about a three-to-one ROI. We're able to guarantee that ROI, we don't, and we don't charge unless people participate. And so it, it really is, is, a, is a no-brainer for the employer, and I think that the leading employers are getting it. It, one of the things I, I tend to think a lot about is the parallel to mental health. Do you, do you remember when 10 years ago we weren't talking about mental health? I do. And, and the reason we weren't talking about mental health, I believe, was, was twofold. One was the stigma around talking about mental health. You know, you say my son has cancer and you get a hug. You said my son ha- has a, has schizophrenia and people would, would take a step back. Right. And that was wrong. And I think we've made progress as people around that. But the other reason we weren't talking about mental health is it wasn't showing up in the claims data. And, and the reason it wasn't showing up in the claims data is there wasn't access to it. And so it was an example of this huge burden that employers were actually suffering from, but outside of their, their, scope of visibility because they have tended, we have tended in our healthcare system to size a healthcare problem based on the claims data. And yet what the leading employers know, what, what frankly every employer knows is that they spend a lot more on wages than they do actually on healthcare costs. And so if I have a health issue that, that isn't showing up in my claims data because there isn't access, 
but it's showing up in everything else, in my retention, in the performance of my people, in the engagement. That is the place to start, right? Because merely by solving that access issue, you you win. And I think that the conditions that we're treating over the next couple of years are going to start to be looked at just like mental health, where we say this was this huge hidden burden. People were suffering and employers were suffering. And yet we didn't see it because the access, because of the access challenge, because it wasn't in the claims data. We provide access and the people are are waiting for help. They get better and that makes all of our businesses better. And that's what I'm really excited about. And I think we're we're starting to see that happen. And a couple of years from now, we're going to look back and say, um, my migraine was just like mental health was. These autoimmune conditions, which employers have tended to view as intractable, are now addressable. And patients are getting better there. And we're going to start to see this great renaissance where we think about chronic disease, not as my ambition is simply to slow the escalation of it, but my ambition is to reverse it. Well, Matt, listen, I am completely glued, man. I'm hanging on to every word. This is my world, right? The idea that as a uh, healthcare system, the solution is within our hands, right? It's about behavior change, but it's been so difficult to find a path to do that. And it seems like, right, just listening to you and health is onto something. All right, folks, you're listening to my conversation with Matt Scantlin of And Health. We'll be back after these messages. Hang in there. Support for the 614 Startups podcast comes from Book and Street. Book and Street provides finance and accounting solutions for startups in the Midwest and beyond. From strategic financial support to bookkeeping and everything in between, they've got your back office covered. Let their experienced team of finance and accounting professionals help your startup get it right, right from the start. Learn more at Book and andstreet.com and set up your free 30-minute consultation with their team today. Today's episode is sponsored by the City of Dublin's Division of Economic Development. The City of Dublin provides world-class, tailored business services and resources to ensure the best possible environment for businesses to recruit talent and thrive. Because of this strategic focus and commitment to employer growth, Dublin is the only accredited economic development organization in the state of Ohio. The City of Dublin supports startups and entrepreneurs by offering targeted resources and training programs to grow companies that are financially sustainable, innovative, and committed to creating jobs. Learn how other businesses depend on Dublin. Visit thriveindublinohio.com. 614 Startups Nation, welcome back. This is the final segment with my guest, Matt Scantlin of And Health. All right, Matt, this is a heavy lift. All right, you're transforming, my word, but maybe you also share that sentiment. You are transforming healthcare and you're doing it in a very radical way and you're taking radical approaches, right? Including going to the employer, focusing on performance base um, as, as your revenue model, and then really, really working with employees to try to address problems that they are motivated to address. All of that heavy lifting takes funding. All right. And there was an announcement. You went out you raised a round. I want to know from you, why was it important right, for you to raise that round at the time you did? And what is your advice for other founders who are in that process 
of raising funding to solve big problems? Yeah, yeah, great question. Yeah, you're right. What 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 we're trying to do here, and I think will do, is is a big ambition. We have to simultaneously be a healthcare provider. We have to be a software company. We need to be a world-class organization at partnering with employers and, and health plans. And so that, that's, a, that's a lot to do. And so to do that, we need great people and we need the capital to, um, to build. And, and ideally, we have partners that can bring capital and some know-how. And we did that with Francisco Partners, who actually backed us at our last company at Cover My Meds. Francisco is one of the top-ranked growth um, technology investment firms in the world. And then also with Health 2047 Capital Partners, which is the American Medical Association's venture capital arm. And the, uh, that, that, that idea of and health, of doing this transformational work collaboratively, was super, super important, is super important to us. That's a deep part of our values. It's a deep way, part of how I think we'll be successful. And so partnering with an organization like the Innovation Arm of the American Medical Association, which has been in this for hundreds of years, is, is important too. And so we have great partners. We, we ended up raising $57 million, which allows us to really do this right and to take the time that it takes to build a company that can transform the lives of, of patients and can be a good partner to employers because we need a lot of people to trust us and to be able to count on us. And one of the things I think that can be missing in the uh, startup world is the, 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 the ability to, to be around long enough that people can count on you. And so raising that funding was, was a big part of how we, how we solved that. And truthfully, I'm not sure this would have been a great first company for me, (laughs) right? Because there's just a lot that has to come together to do this. There's a, and it, and it's an expensive company to, to capitalize as well. And fortunately we built a, a track record and had built relationships with people that wanted to go on this next journey with us. And that made this quite possible. We knew exactly who we wanted to work with from a funding standpoint and, and went out and, and did that. And they believe in what we're doing. And so that's been, a, that's been an awesome experience. You, you asked about um, advice. I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to provide advice that is going to be good for everyone. Um, I'm a big believer in the idea that that if you build a great company, there will be investors that want to fund it. But, but so the question is, how do you build a great company? And there's a sequencing issue, right? Is how do I get started to build that great company without the funding? And so a bit of a chicken egg issue. I'm, I'm a big believer for many people in bootstrapping and trying, or at least bootstrapping to the extent that's possible. That's how we got Cover My Med started. And in fact, when when by the time FP came in, we were we were already profitable and growing and had built a pretty big company. That I think is under considered for many first time entrepreneurs. Many people could operate a consulting company and build a product company at the same time and finance it as as just one example. The other thing I I would say 
is keeping expenses low is really important. I think that the constraints, even though we're really well capitalized, we're not spending that money until we have a model that we want to reproduce. And so it takes, even when you have the capital, or especially when you don't, I think the constraints are really important. Because it takes time to do enough learning to figure out how can I truly be valuable to people? How can I really, how can I be 10x better in a dimension that matters enough that I can get people to do something different than they've always done before? That, that's really, that's a pretty high bar, 10 times better, because that's what it takes to change the status quo. People are just too busy to, do, to, do, to go on your new ride unless it's materially better. And so I've tended to think about financing and, and really the process of entrepreneurship as running a timed experiment and how can I be, how can I figure out how to be really valuable to people? And if you start from the notion that I'm alive until I run out of money, rather than I'm in a, that rather than I'm, I'm dead, how do I make this succeed? You start to think about it a little bit differently, right? Because I could, I could keep going, you know, maybe I haven't raised anything, but if I manage to not spend very much, my personal burn rate is low. And maybe I have, am doing some consulting on the side. I can take a lot more time to learn how to be valuable than I can if I'm, than, a, than, a, than if I'm spending a lot of money or I have a high burn rate. And so building a great company, I think planning for it taking a couple of years to get good at it and finding what's the best way to buy, to get a couple of years is, is the thing. I've seen so many companies that could have been successful that just ran out of time. And that's, I think, that if there was one universal source of truth, and that's true for us, and it's true for someone that's raised a lot less than us, you, you've got to have the time to, to do it right. Now, how did you, like you mentioned, there's a lot of complexity in this business, so it's appropriate that you're building it now. Yeah. But one of the things that's, you mentioned chicken or the egg, right? Is it, do you need the funding to build a great company or you build a great company and then get the funding? But it's also the chicken and the egg with the inexperienced founder, which is, do the mistakes teach you to be disciplined, (laughs) right? Or are you disciplined to avoid mistakes? And so from the seat that you sit in, you know, it's like kids, right? It's like talking to your younger self. It's like, you can tell your younger self whatever you want. doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have the life experience to absorb the lesson. And so as people are sitting there listening to you, it's like easy for Matt Scantlin to say, be disciplined, right? He can go out and raise a $57 million round. But but how do we how do we make this real to people? That fiscal discipline, that absolutely running a tight ship that's necessary to build a startup. Because I think what is glamorized is large rounds mean you can go out and spend however you like. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a great question and and you know, I think it's important to recognize that no matter what your level of experience is, you need to if you're truly doing something new, you there's no playbook that you can just copy. You have to learn how to be valuable. And so, you know, many people can bring wisdom and judgment and situational awareness from an from domain expertise in an industry but if they're going to do something new they still have to learn and so i think it really starts with humility and saying when i'm doing something new 
I, I don't even know yet what I don't know. And so if I'm feeling pretty confident, it's because I haven't yet discovered all the things I don't know yet. And that was 100% true in this business for us. We have a pretty experienced team. Many of the people here have, have built very successful companies in the past, a lifetime in, in root cause medicine for many people, and yet we still have to learn. And so I think it comes down to that humility and then saying, okay, well, if I'm going to have to learn, which means I'm going to have to be wrong for a while, I need to make myself as anti-fragile as I can be. Did, did you read Anti-Fragile? No, it's I have a, not. Okay. I've heard of it. I heard it's, it's a must read, but I haven't yet. It, yeah. It's a, I think it's a great read because it, it differentiates between the idea of volatility and risk. And volatility is that the, the future is going up and down. Risk is, is, you know, did the plane actually hit the ground in a terminal event? And in entrepreneurship, we only die when we run out of money. And so I need to start with the idea that no matter how much experience I have, no matter how much I think I know this is going to work, there, I have to learn a lot because the big picture, it really comes from the details. The big picture is a million details that eventually got lined up in the right way. And that, that I have to learn even when I bring a, a lifetime of experience. And so I need to find a way to cope with that volatility, which is another way of saying I need to be anti-fragile. And the way we're anti-fragile is we, we figure out how to go a long time without running out of money. And so yeah, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to say other than that the fact that every company can succeed if it doesn't run out of money. And so we and you just have to know that that's true. And if you, what, if you can really believe that you're going to, I think, fa- be able to muster the, 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 um, the energy that it takes, frankly, that to, to, to say there's no shortcut on the learning. I can't buy the learning. I can't hire the learning. I need to go through the process and that takes time. It doesn't take people, it doesn't necessarily take a bunch of people, right? If you look at most technology companies, they're spending more than, more than they, more than their revenue on just sales and marketing. And that's a, that's a, a signal that they haven't done enough learning yet. And probably they didn't have enough constraint before they got to a model that they are trying now trying to rinse and repeat. And so that's a, that's an idea that no matter how, what you're, capability your capacity is for fundraising there's no shortcut and and i you know we're we're not perfect i'm sure we're gonna we're getting many things wrong but that's a that's a deep belief and what i would say is it's a belief of our investors too and one of the things that i have really learned as i've as i try and get a little bit older and wiser is that none of us are as big as all of us and if I surround myself with people that don't believe that, I'm going to make the same mistake that gets made, right? I'm going to hire, hire, hire before I have a process, before I have a, a process that, that should be repeated yet. And I, I cause I, I can't win that if, when the whole world is telling me go, because I'm going to, I'm going to tell myself a story that it's time to go. And so I think it's about the value alignment with the investor that's just so critical here, because no matter how much experience you have, we're, we're all just a relatively small part of a system that has its own incentives. 
you just gave me 15 different episodes. So, you know, you're getting an invite back to explore all of these very nuanced topics. All right. You're dropping a lot of knowledge. And I think we need to dig deeper into it because there is also, like you said, airplane, right? Like if, if, if that volatility, right, there's a difference between turbulence and a real mechanical problem. Right. And so I think that's what you're pointing to, but both in both instances, the panic is real. And sometimes in in order to like make the panic not be so visceral, it's like, let's throw money at the problem, which is the classic issue, right? We're panicking, so let's throw money at it. All right, Matt, we're not going to spend too much time there. You got to come back for another sit down so we can talk about those things. All right. So what's next for And Health, right? You've got experience under your belt. You got a team with experience and now you have a war chest, right? What's next for And Health? And why are you choosing to build this company in Columbus, Ohio, when you can go anywhere and build this company? Yeah, yeah. So w- what's next for us is we're going to help more people reverse chronic disease. We're going to do that with with our virtual clinic for migraine. We're going to do it with our virtual clinic for autoimmune conditions. And then we're going to expand the impact that we can have by partnering with healthcare providers that need the tools and the time to help patients address those root causes. And we're going to expand the impact that we have by partnering with employers that know that if they solve this access issue for their people, their costs are going to go down and their productivity is going to go up. And so we're going to do that. And we, we're going to expand over time the therapeutic areas that we take on so that over time we can be a, become a partner for a healthcare provider or for an employer to, to be able to address most of the addressable spending with a relatively small number of patients, right? By focusing on the where the real clinical need is, where there's, where there's lots and lots of motivation, there's an access challenge, and there's a big gap between what is routinely achieved clinically and what, what we now know is possible based on the science that we know about these diseases. And so over time, we, we, need, to stay, we need to remain a specialist so that we can innovate around the operating model and so that we can truly do something, achieve an outcome that's different. But we also want to expand those therapeutic areas because there's a lot of unmet clinical need for people and for employers and for providers. And so that's, that's what's next for us. You, you asked about Columbus and um, we're, we, we, I'm a, we're believers in Columbus. I, I think this is a great community. I think it, I think the the values of the people here are incredible. Um, I like living here. Our people like living here. And while we're not hiring people exclusively in Columbus, we we need to. We're sort of first and foremost. We're committed to having great people, not to necessarily to one location. Um, we do. I do see the center of gravity being here, and and we we have an incredible office here in downtown Columbus. And that's another part of how we, I think we contribute to the fabric of the community. One, one of the things we say in our values is that we grow so that we can increase our capacity to give back. And one of the ways that we can give back is by building a company and a community that, that we care about. And so that we're committed to, to doing that work too. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you um, coming on the platform, sharing your story and educating us about And Health. Looking forward 
to what the future holds for this company, not just as part of the Columbus startup ecosystem, but as patients and as payers into the healthcare system. And so we see a triple bottom line, right? Growing the community, helping people, and lowering the cost of healthcare all around. All right, folks, there you have it. Thank you so much for hanging in there with us. You have been listening to my conversation with Matt Scantlin of And Health. Until next time, peace. That's a wrap, folks. You can find this in all our episodes on our website, 614startups.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and all your favorite podcasting platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and write a review. If you'd like updates sent directly to your inbox, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter on the website. To engage in the 614 Startups community, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 614 Startups on all platforms and join the conversation. For sponsorship opportunities and collaborations, email us at info at 614startups.com.